when Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's Vieira! Absolutely fantastic! Thierry Henry! He scored! He scored for Arsenal! It is just what Pierre Emerick Aubameyang does. Gabriel Martinelli has equalised for the Gunners! Welcome back to the Different Knock podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and my very, very, very good friend who just turned 25. Bramley Apples. Bramley Apples! Brandon Autumn. Brandon Autumn. <laughs> that was so funny. That. When I, rec- <laughs> I, I, was, I pissed myself when I received that. That was hilarious. Happy birthday, Brad. Thank you very much, mate. It was How your are 20- you? I'm okay. It was your 25th yesterday. How was yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, my mum rented one of these, you know, those pod things like, along the South Bank? Uh, oh, no? is this uh, the sort of like... Gla- the random uh, sort of- like... Yeah, that you can go like sit and eat your food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because obviously certain things are reopening, if you're part of the same household, you can rent one and go in there. So we basically got to like go out for a meal and stuff without going out for a meal. So that's nice. I had a couple. I had a couple of bevs. How very modern, Um, eh? Yeah, kept my eye on the Arsenal score. Caught up on the game when I got home. Yes, they didn't ruin your day, which was polite of them. Yeah, yeah, that was very polite of them. Very nice. And Bradley, (laughs) we must say. The El Nenesance continues. Now I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. When claiming... did the El Nenesance ever give you the impression it was going to stop? I'm not going to claim all credit for Mohamed Alani's career, but I think we should take some credit. A little like bit, like sixty-five percent. Yeah, you know. Okay. Yeah, sure. He's trained to be the professional footballer, but we talk about him on a podcast he doesn't listen to. So you know, sort of. What's the <laughs> Where does the line come, you know? Yeah. Um, yes, so listen, happy birthday, Brad. A quarter of a century. You should be in your peak years now, I reckon. You should yeah, be like, if you're a keeper, you'd be for, establishing yourself. Yeah, first pushing for the first, first 11 in a Champions League level side. <laughs> One can only dream. Um, yes, so listen, Arsenal 1. Uh, no, Arsenal 2. Fucking, I'm so uh, not used to us winning. Arsenal 2. You're so used to us just not scoring anything more than one goal and hoping for the best. <laughs> yes, and that's part of my analysis. Arsenal 2, uh, Newcastle Nuts and James's Park. Um, yeah, it was a good... It, it, I think it was comfortable, right? Like, it was comfortable. Yeah. I felt you know, we like we weren't going to lose. possession and, like... Uh, to be fair, I think that shows how dog Newcastle are, and uh, you know they've um, uh, Newcastle fans have obviously wanted Steve Bruce gone for a while because of the fact that he doesn't seem to be able to tactically set up a team. But I think that, that this game showed exactly how they are kind of not very sick. good. Yeah, they they're the basic they they're they're a, they're a less expensive version of Man United at some points where the issue with Man United is the is tactically sometimes they're not very well put together. You know, they they're a team of world-class players that sometimes when I watch them I feel like Ollie's just gone go on lads do your best. Um and I think this is the same, just with a lot less talent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, Steve it, Bruce it, has just gone, I'm not doing a Steve Bruce impression. Uh, <laughs> I thought about it, but know, it's too uh, early in the morning. Alan, there you Alan go, just, lads. Uh, uh, you know him. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, it, it, it just feels to me like a team of kind of, of players who, 
it's like it's like it's sort of like nine guys or eight guys who are all very average footballers, and then two people up top who've got a bit about them. Yeah. And when they don't, and when you saw like their form when they didn't have Wilson and St. Maximum, they absolutely plummeted. Um, and I think that kind of you know they, they do sit. But I, I had with my um, I've just moved house, but my ex flatmate, um, our, our mutual friend, uh, Danny, who is at the Yorkshire Magpie. Um, yeah, I watch a lot of football, uh, a lot, lot of Newcastle with him when I can, and it's been fascinating because they just like there's no pattern play. There's no, no <laughs> it's literally just counters. And if the, and and the problem is, and and part of the something I noticed yesterday was they have ball carriers. They don't appear to be able to use and manipulate the ball to get them up the pitch. They have to use ball carriers to get there. Yeah. But if their ball carriers don't work or aren't playing, they literally can't move the ball up the pitch and they're just stuck in their own half. So, um, yeah, lots of work to do there. But anyway, we're an Arsenal podcast. So, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, So lineups then. Um, I, I, I came out and I was quite like, oh, for God's sake. But then I sort of looked into it and went, Okay, that makes a lot more sense. I think you know, re- resting Leno Chambers, resting mm. um, uh, obviously Sabalos is is a ban for Thursday, so it makes more sense that he'd play. Um, resting Saka and, and Smithrow and stuff. Uh, yeah, any issues with the lineup? No, no. I'm I was pleasantly surprised and all right with the lineup. Um, no Reese Nelson though on even on the bench, which and I know there were some comments made by him. I think either pre or post the game. Um, but that that is starting to kind of make me wonder why on earth we didn't send him out on loan in in January. Um, but other than that, I was you know I, a good getting a start for Martinelli was good. Um, when we're resting certain players like Pepe, and we we need somebody on that right wing so i didn't mind willian starting i thought bellerin had an all right game as did willian yeah <laughs> as did willian you know all all jokes aside you know you have to give credit where credit's due he had a decent performance which i think was probably why i i, I say i didn't mind starting him because surprise think, surprise yeah he I, actually I, did some things on the football pitch i think he had a number of key passes a couple of chances created just just on reese nelson arteta's comments after the game were with reese i'd like to give him more he's a boy who tries really hard he trains every day he wants to do extra all the time it's very difficult at the moment with the players we have to be able to fit him uh, with the players we have to be able to fit him in i feel sorry that we don't have the space to do that um and yeah it, it it's it's kind of like just send them out on loan then because whether you want to keep yeah. them or not like it's a year of development that could have gone into his like that could have really really helped him grow and progress and yeah. then he could come back and usurp a William. yeah 100 percent you know, um, I think as well this game showed how much we miss David Louise, which I think is just an indictment of our squad. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> because so. Because yeah. David Louise is trash. Like, he is hot garbage. But the fact that we miss that hot garbage in our back line for that build up play just really, really shows and shows how much we need to kind of either bring in Saliba. Or even bring in Saliba and then another right-sided centre-back who can do the same thing. I didn't mind Callum Chambers playing there today, actually. I thought he had a decent game when he came on. And it's obviously a shame that Louise has now gone down injured again. And I think mm. that that will be his kind of season over. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was Virgil van Chambers at some points. It was it was really nice. I think... Yeah. Do, do you know what it is? And 
it was it's just the progression from deep that's all it is it's it's really yeah. really simple stuff it's just the fact that and, and you see it from the first goal uh, uh louise plays it out to bellerin um obviously and we'll, we'll get into the game and talk about the goals and stuff but mm. louise yeah i think just having someone who even you know and as we've discussed you know newcastle are not a great team but even having someone who they know for a fact he can ping a ball over the top just it just brings them a couple of yards back gives them a bit of space and you know i think someone like Maureen, guys like Maureen Holding don't do it. Gabrielle does it a bit, but David Louise is just keeps trying those balls and eventually they do, they do come off. And I think even just having someone who will try them um, and yeah. has that, and has that in his locker is, is a real, a real asset. Just finally on the lineup um, again, Xhaka at left back instead of Cedric. Um, considering firstly, how many games Xhaka has played um, considering what happened actually in game which could have been i thought in an alternate reality we're sat here going Talking fuck's about sake being sent off yeah alan say maximan's got him sent off uh, he, he's, he's been very lucky not to get sent off like well it's just it's more why is arteta so insistent because i you know, I, I watch it in the game and i think if Xhaka wins the ball high up the pitch he's fine but if he gets obviously if he gets into a foot race if he gets caught and isolated on that Ooh. side he's dusted he can only win it high. as long as he wins it high up the pitch he's a really useful player to have there and he's a good deputy but the second you get him going backwards and turning around and he's and he's on his heels yeah he's with i'm i'm hoping and this is kind of almost me theorizing that you know like we've started el Nenny and sabayos today like we've started Willian. You know, we've rested a couple of players. Maybe we've played Jacker at left back today so that we can have maybe a fully fresh Cedric at left back on yeah, Thursday. Really possible. And then bring Jacker into the midfield. Um, because if, you know, and I'm, I'm quite glad that we're recording this podcast post the uh, kind of the morning after rather than the last one. Because I listened back to it. And I, I, I kind of like, like I said, you definitely do view it from a different place whilst you're still feeling kind of the emotion and the, the adrenaline of the match. Um, which we hope, played in, obviously. Which, yeah, you know, we, 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 that we, we felt that, that. Brad's in a shirt this morning. It's, I feel like you're on Monday Night Football. I am. I am. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm replacing Genev and, uh, you know, the boys. Um but maybe I'm I'm just theorizing and hoping that that means that he'll move into the center of the park on Thursday. We'll have Cedric there on uh, Cedric there, and we can learn from the mistake that yes. we that, that, that was made against Everton and Villarreal because we, especially with Chiwazi, he's so electric that we need a more athletic person at left back. Yeah, <laughs> like we need somebody who can turn, who can wriggle, and Xhaka just can't. And, you know, like you say, in an alternate reality, we're talking about uh, Alisson Maximan getting him sent off and the game ends maybe even one all because of that. Because then, you know, heads drop and and people get a bit, um, you know, we end up all... Because sometimes that, I, just, I just feel like that happens to us. We lose all shape and just run around like headless chickens on a football pitch. And I, I really don't know why. Um one thing to highlight we played Danny Ceballos that's yeah, why because we played Danny Ceballos but one thing to highlight I think it's since December since we changed system Aubameyang's now got I think is it 
is, I, I don't it's know like it's, 10 goals in 13 starts or something it's like, like that. It's like 11, it's now like 11 goals in 14 starts. So yeah. we're, we're starting to see the Aubameyang yeah. goals, which is good. Now we've, we've, we've changed to a system yeah. that really starts creating a lot of kind of opportunities for him when we have our best creators mm. on the pitch. I think, you know, like we've covered many, many times, it's just a shame that we weren't in this system from the start of the season because yeah. since Christmas, we've been the fourth best side in the league. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I I, I think with on Aubameyang, it's like, there's a there's a, a quote from um, Tim Stillman recently. He says, not, like, not every game has to be a referendum on a player. And I really like that because mm. I think it's important as fans. We don't just make every game, you know, well, this game works, therefore let's use it. If he doesn't score. And if he doesn't score this rid. game, yeah. we, you know, Aubameyang needs to go. And that happens, obviously, you know, with the kind of the emotion of the game, obviously, when we're, you know, playing. And obviously, mm. when we were in the middle of the party yesterday, Brad, um, as our little double pivot, we, uh, we 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 got pretty emotional. But the, yeah, the the I think with Aubameyang, it's clear and it and it has been clear for a long time for me that, he is an amazing chance creator. He, I don't think his chance conversion is as good. I think the numbers don't bear out that he's, he's as good. Again, that that thing that we've discussed many times on the pod around, like, is he the absolutely perfect player for our system? Or what, what, I, what it appears that Arteta wants to be playing? I don't think so, because I think he needs more space. But if we're going to fit around him, which we, we appear to be doing, and in a game like this, when he had a bit more space, it worked. Mm. I just think, you know, there's a lot of moving um, fixtures with Aubameyang and we can play yeah. a kind of system that goes, okay, yeah, well, we can we can try and fit to how Aubameyang works. I don't think we played in a way that was exactly what Aubameyang would have wanted yesterday. I think he was kind of on the end of things and you saw that in the goal. Um I think in another, in another game, we think where Aubameyang, he's kind of, you know, cause just because he was getting on the edge of chances, he wouldn't have had those chances against a different team. So, yeah, as much as I understand the kind of Aubameyang praise and he got a goal and amazing and, and I'm happy for that, I do think it's a little bit of an indictment on where Newcastle are. And I think... Oh, yeah, of course, 100%. A top striker it, gets chances in that game yeah. anyway. It doesn't. It doesn't change my opinion that if we got a decent money offer in the summer, we should take yeah, it we should, and try and get his wages off the the wage bill and, and sign a profile of striker that actually fits one hundred percent of the system that we want to play moving forward. But again, I think that the issue is is that that conversation now, especially with what's going on in the Europa League and everything, comes to the conversation of if, when, and whether certain people are going to be here come September. You know, and also whether we can get a better striker than Aubameyang, because as much as we would lo- love to get the perfect striker for our system, we have got of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. It becomes a coin flip of what would be what would be better, and and you see this in in certain other squads. What would be better having a player who, if you were to give, if you were to look at like things like FIFA overall, having a player who is a better overall player, but fits the system perf- uh, fit, fits the system less or a less better overall player but fits the system more and is perfect for the system mm. it almost it, it uh, you turn you turn the conversation almost into like a liverpool type conversation where it's system over talent mm. where you know you look at that midfield that won them the league last season they've got some good players in there but none of them are supremely talented you know unbelievable technicians or or, you know none of they've not got Kevin De Bruyne they've not got any of those kind of players you know you're looking at 
Jordan Henderson, and that's that's no slight to Jordan Henderson because he's a fucking professional footballer who's won the Premier League, but he's not exactly known as an absolute pass master, and you can see that's why they brought Thiago in. But, you know, it, it, it does become that coin flip. But I think, it again, it does all depend what happens on Thursday and what happens come the end of the season because, like, like the conversation we had, and I was thinking about it more and more this week, the decisions that Arteta's made that seem more long-term, like playing Willian rather than like loaning out certain players, and it, it, it started to kind of tighten the noose a bit more now. And whether he, whether he swings before, you know, whether things get so bad before the end of the season that he goes at the end of the season, who knows? But that seems like it could be a possibility. So I think it now, at the moment, it feels for me quite difficult to theorise where we're moving going forward because we're talking about a system for a manager that might not even be here come next season mm. if we crash out of the Europa League and have a really yeah. bad end to the season. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if this news of Daniel Ek buying the club is true and, you know, it came out in the mail, I think, two days ago or something that the club is actually up for sale. If this news is true and a sale goes through, I wouldn't be surprised if they did remove him from his position and bring somebody else in. Um, just as a kind of, you know, um, a kind of changing of the guard. You don't want somebody there from the old kind of administrational era. So it's it's going to be a really interesting kind of dynamic over yeah. the next few and, uh, months yeah. to see exactly how this all shapes out. And I think every... <laughs> Every summer, every journalist and every podcast goes, this is the big summer for Arsenal. But this this really is a huge summer for Arsenal in many, many different senses. Um, so we started off uh, fairly in control. The goal happened pretty quickly, came from a Louise over the top. We, we've discussed that, you know, how important that is, that progression from deep. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of nice balls out to Martinelli before that even happened. Um, Hector made a good run. Um, so... Uh, I'll, I'll come back to that. Uh, Hector made a good run. Aubameyang scuffed at it and it was a great control and a great finish from El Nani. And listen... Absolutely. It was in honour, I believe, of our 69th podcast, Brad. That's what I think it was. That, that is that is exactly what it was, my <laughs> It's friend. exactly what it was. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, but um, I after this performance, I'd start... I'd probably start Hector on Thursday if Louise is out because I'd move Chambers to that RCB role. I don't know yeah, that, how you feel about that, but having somebody who, I mean, Chambers isn't as good at it as David Luiz, but having somebody with that ball is so important that maybe starting Bellerin on the right and Chambers in the centre might not be the worst idea for Thursday. Well, we've, we've seen Chambers' delivery, right? Like, you know, mm. down that right-hand side, and he's clearly got a ball delivery on him. And he, also when he was there, he was trying, um, he was trying balls. I'm trying to think of a Callum Chambers, Paolo Maldini pun. It's just not coming to me right. It's too early. Um, But the, uh, yes, but like, I think with Hector, something that tactically I think really works for us in specific games, he he is very much no longer a touchline, straight line distances player. He often, obviously, as we've discussed many times, comes in and almost becomes, do you remember that sort of role that that Maitland-Niles was playing? Um, uh, that sort of it's almost like an auxiliary third central midfield player combined with yeah. a sort of left side. It's almost the role that Sabas is playing a little bit, a little bit at the moment. Bellerin sort of plays that and that sort of coming inside and playing, and I think it helps us to overload the midfield. And when when we are mm-hmm. again up against 
a midfield or a sort of a back five and then a, and then a three when we've only got two, it really helps us to provide the, uh, make those triangles, especially on that right hand side. Especially when and and someone who moves and Bellerin's movement isn't the best, <laughs> but he does move and Willian constantly is is dragged towards the ball and towards the man. So it's nice to have someone who who makes those runs. But I think someone like Chambers is a lot more kind of touchline heavy. Um, yeah, a lot more kind of. I think a bit more suited to what Arteta is trying to do to to create those spaces in the middle, which sometimes leaves us vulnerable. But that's another conversation. But I think Bellerin, depending on what we do against Villarreal, I felt we got massively isolated in the in the midfield, and obviously it all depends whether we play a double pivot, whether we play Party and El Nenny or Party and Jacka. Maybe Cedric comes in, whatever. But I think if we are trying to create those overloads in the midfield, it might be useful to have Bellerin there because I think that's where we lost the game against Villarreal. So I think yeah. not only did we, it might be, I agree with you that, that Chambers, um, for me, yes, goes in at right centre-back over holding. I think I think he, he'll probably go with holding Amari just as a partnership because he likes that. But if we did have Gabriel and, and Chambers, I'd be really happy with that and actually quite happy with that moving forward. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's where I stand on it. I think it's not only a good mm. choice as centre-back, it also helps us kind of in the midfield potentially. Yeah, Absolutely, I think you've you've hit it spot on there. And like you say, moving Thanks, forward, Brad. if <laughs> if next season we decide to, you know, I think next season it wouldn't be a bad idea to to go with a rotating three of kind of Chambers, Saliba, and Gabriel moving forward. It's a very young back line, but you're 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 getting in kind of new blood and. Chambers has got some experience. Saliba's obviously just gone out to Nice and, you know, had a storming second half of the season. And rotating those three as kind of your main three choices, I don't think would be the worst idea. And then you've obviously got Pablo Mari who can drop in and out. Um, And that might really help kind of solidify our backline options moving forward, especially if we get in um, a decent right back, you know, moving forward. I think it came out this morning I saw on... Twitter or something that we were looking at um, Emerson Royal from yeah. Betis yeah. or you know Lamptey the only thing with Lamptey is I think if, if a Bellerin happens where he gets like you've said before a major injury and loses his pace he's not particularly physically dominant yeah and yeah there's other names there's you know Aaron's and, yeah. and Hakimi and stuff but I, I do think it all depends on my, my pick as I've always said is Mukieli just to be that yeah. almost 100%. auxiliary third um, centre back but the yeah the it, it, yeah it all depends. Anyway, squad building squad building. We need we need a squad, squad building. building. We haven't had our conjecture claxon in ages, Brad. Yeah, and I think that's because uh, conjecture claxon. Warning: uh, conjecture ahead. Stupid joke. Um, so something I want to hire. <laughs> you look so official, Brad. I feel like I'm like, like a job interview or something. Yeah, are you going to give me the job, Alex? No, no, I meant I'm at the job interview in my oh charity t-shirt and fluffy hoodie. I love it. I love it. You look very handsome. Oh, Brad. Um, Yes, Gabby. uh, I just love him. I love him. Didn't um, I've? This is secondhand information. There's a Martin Erdegaard interview this week where he talks about. um, I had a moment, Brad, where I was like, I love talk. I love football. Just wanted to share that. Um, Isn't there? Isn't there a Martin Erdegaard interview? Because Martinelli is one of those players who you just go. Oh, I fucking love football. Like, look at this guy playing. Yeah. He's unbelievable. Yeah. I'll finish my point. The Erdogan interview where he talks about um, uh, saying, like, he thinks Martinelli's like the best youngster he's seen 
And this guy's been at Madrid. And I think we see, and that's something I wanted to kind of highlight around Martinelli, is like, not only is this guy direct, technically assured, can be- beat his man quite a few times, and I, yes, it's Newcastle, all the usual caveats. But for but a they're still Premier League footballers. Young like- guy. But it's also his creativity. Like, he actually... That, that cross is... It's gorgeous a, for Aubameyang, but that wasn't plate. again. But like both of the goals, there was a precedent for both of them that they were coming all day essentially. Um, and Martinelli was beating his man. He was he was turning people inside out. He was dropping deep and linking up. He was um, helping out a left back. He was he was everywhere. And I think something that really struck my struck my eye is that a, is that a phrase um, caught my eye was around the. Yeah, his his creativity and this guy who mm. appears to be able to play those one twos appears to be able to get on the end of things and cut it back. Like, not only I wonder where he ends up um, because I think Arteta had a, had a conversation post match about he could play at striker or 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 um, either side wing, of, the, yeah. of the wings really. But yeah, the creativity side, which I've never seen before. I've I've seen Martinelli as a finisher. I've seen Martinelli as a as a as a runner, but never that technical assurance to play those balls in and around the box and get a ball in and, and be that kind of that pre-assist or assist he really reminds, reminds me of Alexis Sanchez and reminds yeah. me of the joy that I used to feel watching Alexis Sanchez just because he's constantly trying he's constantly doing things and he looks like he sleeps for the football like literally yeah, like literally just breathes yeah and I, I think that's you know that's the mentality that you need of at least a few players in the squad so it's great that he has that and you know moving forward whether his future is at center forward or almost on one of those wings you know almost like mohammed salah in the fact that mohammed salah plays on the right wing but he's not a right winger like he is a striker that plays on the right wing like his job is to score goals and maybe that's where martinelli ends up but watching him in this game and I think that's why I'm so frustrated that he doesn't get more minutes and that he hasn't had more minutes this season when people like Willian have. And I think, you know, it comes back to the conversation about Reese Nelson, you're going, we've got so many fantastic youngsters that we could be kind of blooding in right now and bedding in right now mm. that would set us up so well for the future if they have the ability, but we're giving minutes to a 94-year-old Willian. Um, but I, back to the positive of it, he's just electrifying like I feel excitement every time he gets the ball because I feel like something might happen and there's honestly only him and maybe at point Smith Smith Rowe and Odegaard in the center that I feel that and then Saka that I actually feel that with those kind of three or four players every time they get the ball I, I set a few inches forward on my seat because I'm like something could happen like and that just that's football. Like, yeah, that's football. Like that's <laughs> football. Like that's why that, we watch it. That, that it is football heritage. Like it, it just is. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, oh. it, yeah. Anyway, it's beautiful. It is just beautiful. Like that feeling that like something could happen, and so often we see fucking Sabios pick up the ball and spin. Like you know, he's in a ballet class practicing fuetes or something stupid. Um. That's a really niche reference that none of our <laughs> listeners are going to get. <laughs> um, or El Nenny picking up the ball and, you know, seeing a perfectly easy option to spray it forward and then passing it to Bellerin or David Luiz. 
Um, you know, we're so used to seeing, oh, there's an opportunity. Nah, we're not going to go for it, are we? That actually seeing a player who is willing to try things and willing to take those opportunities and just has no fear is, it's just the lifeblood of what this game is. Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So after the goal, I think Newcastle sort of woke up a little bit. Uh, they swapped sides, so St. Maximum went out on the right because he saw saw the fear in Granite Jacker's eyes. Um, he got a save out of uh, Matt Ryan. Uh, I think it was a. I think it was him who got the yellow for Jacker. And at that point, I'm thinking, get him off. I think something that um, just to talk about, like. I do post match. We're now all sat here with the three points. We thought fantastic. You know that's the perfect result to take into Thursday. A simple game, not too taxing. Obviously, we got the injury to David Luiz, but apart from that, you know, fairly fairly straightforward. But (laughs) as we said before, there there is an alternative reality where Granite Xhaka gets that second yellow. We're on the back foot the whole game. It turns into a tiring, taxing game. We lose two one or or draw one one. And we're all here going, why the fuck didn't he get Granite Jakarov? I think le- less the point around why didn't he get Granite Jakarov or why, why did he keep him on or whatever. It's more, I think, somewhere where Arteta needs to go and his development as a coach is someone who will do what Jurgen Klopp did to Naby Keita. Someone who does not give a fuck apart from the result. It's that thing, I don't believe and I don't buy that Arteta would, on whatever that was, like the 23rd minute or something when Grant Xhaka got his yellow, um, I don't believe he would have thought about taking him off. And and I, you have to, you because ha- you have to prioritise it. If if St. Maximan, who who is a a very good player, someone I don't think would do particularly well in a top six team, but a very good player all the same, sort of like a Payet, I, I describe him as. He... Zahar, in that kind yeah. of... But the imposter outside the top six range, you know, you want to see him at a top eight club with a bit more talent around him. But like you say, at a top six club, yeah. I just... Yeah, I think he, he relies on not having the ball. But anyway, the the Xhaka thing, uh, yeah, it, it just it just does concern me because I've written down on my notes, get Cedric on. And that's what I would have done as a manager. I appreciate I'm not a UEFA licensed coach. But the... Point being that I don't believe Arteta even would have considered that. I don't think it's even in yeah. his lexicon. Whereas someone like a, a Klopp or a Guardiola, I think, thinks the priority here is to win the game. So I don't give a fuck. I want to get Cedric on. I want to do whatever. And I think actually Cedric might have been a good option against um, Sir Maximum. But like you said earlier, maybe he's resting him for Thursday. I think the thing is as well, like you say, there's so much precedent for Granit Xhaka picking up second yellow cards or doing, you know, rash challenges or whatever that... You you had to think about it, you know. You have to think because if it's say party, a player who rarely gets sent off, who is very technically assured, is good in the tackle. You kind of go and is more athletic. You kind of go, okay, well maybe I can leave him on because I can trust in the fact that he'll be calm and he won't get a second yellow. But every time I look at Granite Xhaka after he's got a yellow card, just just makes me stressed. And I think that is telling, and it is it is worrying that he's not learning these things. Yeah, you know 100%. that we need to be more. In a sense, he is ruthless in some aspects, but not ruthless enough yeah. across the board. You know, it was absolutely ruthless to um, to just be like, oh yeah, do you know what? 
let's 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 just chuck Saliba out on loan. Let's just get Gwen do like I don't need whatever. He's like, ruthless he's been with the culture, with, but not on the pitch. But not on the pitch. Yeah. That's the issue. Yeah. And that's where it doesn't translate because if he if he was ruthless when it comes to what happens on the pitch, Willian would have a tenth of the minutes that he has this season, because while he had a decent game today, he's probably had three decent games out of thirty something he's played for us. Mm. So let's let's talk about Willian because he he was really actually quite good. Um, it was all right, wasn't he? Like um, he, he did a decent job. Going to try and find his game by numbers. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get it up. Yeah, that he, um, the, some of his deliveries were really, really good. Like genuinely, uh, really, really 62, good. 62 touches, eighty-four point six percent pass act, uh, four key passes, uh, one dribble, fouled once. Then on the on the defensive end, didn't really contribute anything. But on the passing end, he fifty-two passes, eight crosses, six accurate crosses, yeah. six long balls, five accurate long balls. Like. Yeah. My man was like it a was prime a, David Beckham. It was, it was, it was a solid, solid. Perf- it was, it was exactly what Chelsea fans told us to expect from Willian, which is every now and again he will drop one of these performances and be great, but has a tendency to go missing at other yeah. points. And I think the thing that's kept him alive at Chelsea is whether you agree with the way that they have bought their history or what they have bought so many good players that are around in that squad that if a Willian goes missing half the time you've got Hazard on the pitch or half the time you've got Fabregas and Diego Costa on mm. the pitch so it doesn't matter that Willian's gone missing and he and it flies under the radar whereas I think in this squad especially at the start of the season when you know we were looking like um fucking Sunderland just playing absolute dog um it was so obvious that he wasn't there yeah i i i think Again, not to uh, not to relitigate the argument and kind of have another Willian conversation and another. We don't again. We don't need another referendum on a player. We oh, know God, no. we know what Willian is, but yeah. it's useful to say, okay, well, that's what he can do. He can perform in that sense. So when we come up against a team who perhaps sit quite deep, there were some really nice deliveries. And I think um, I've seen um, in. I can't remember which, which um, magazine, God's sake, I can't remember which newspaper it was, but um, we're talking about getting in a striker whose name eludes me, but he's six foot two. Who is it? Oh, yeah, Ivan Tony. Um, talking about getting oh, in yes, Ivan yeah, Tony. And Brentford. I think. Looks phenomenal. I think, okay, great. Someone of a decent size and, and stature, someone who sort of bags goals. And I think so, with, with Willian, having strikers like Lacazette and um, Abamian, and this isn't to excuse his woeful performances at times but you watch him in that sort of quarterback area whipping those balls in if you have an Ivan Tony if you have a Tammy Abraham in there we're looking at William going well he's the he's the feeder he's the creative man mm. and, and perhaps he off, offers a bit more um more stuff to us but yeah listen we where it's due let's let's give him the credit still shit absolutely um I think the <laughs> uh this is really simple <laughs> we took more shots yeah. <laughs> Therefore, we scored more goals. And I think sometimes we do forget that as much as we want to talk about half spaces, you know, beautiful patterns of beautiful play, patterns great of play, interchanges, triangles, um, through ball, whatever. If you, in a football Eng- match, Eng-Nashes. if you 
take more shots, you'll probably score more goals. And we had, yeah. uh, I think, 12 or 13 in the first half, not uh, half, half. Um, now, I don't have the numbers to compare those, but that is, de- eye test, that is definitely more than we've been taking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ending the match on 19 shots, you're bound to at least get a few on target and score a goal or two, you know? So, yes. So often we, we, it is. It is just like you say, and it's like the you know the famous phrases. You 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 don't win the raffle if you don't buy a ticket. If you don't buy a ticket, you do not win the raffle. Uh, Name the FIFA. Um, twelve. Don't know. <laughs> um, and I think there were you know we just had certain players on like Al Nenny who you know decides to shoot from ninety five yards away and and shit like that and. We just we just seemed more, and I, I think you know we knew we came into to this game knowing how bad Newcastle are, so we were confident. Whereas I think if we go into any game where we think that the opposition is half decent, that confidence goes. Yeah, and I, I you know that's a knock on effect from the entire season that we've had, and that's kind of why I want a massive reshuffle of the squad to try and get rid of some of that mentality. And I and I um, think that on on that just. When the confidence goes, you rely on structure. You rely on okay. Well, what has Arteta told us? What is our, what have we been practicing on the training pitch? Because if you're confident, you think okay, we've got a structure. But I'm gonna just try and embellish. I'm just gonna try, gonna try this out. Gonna try this, you know, yeah. fucking Rabona shot, Eric Noella, whatever. Like you, 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 you try things on a football pitch. And someone like Martinelli who has that kind of rock solid confidence it doesn't really affect him but players like Alneni, Ceballos, Willian, Aubameyang they are affected by the team kind of morale and the team mood and therefore you you come back to a structure and when that structure doesn't quite work um, when you don't have the players to fulfill that structure then you have nothing (laughs) so it's like Mm -hmm. it's a really really difficult thing a really difficult position to be in Um, yeah I, I just think Obviously, you know, we were, I think it's, for me, it's not quite, I think we came into the game and grew into the game in terms of confidence because mm-hmm. there was a period in that first half where Newcastle sort of came back at us and they sort of pressed a little bit higher at the pitch. But I think when, because of their lack of technical security, they it felt like a battle of who could keep the ball, essentially, who could keep the ball in in, in their opponent's third, like a final third, because it just became, you know, we get it to their final third, we'd lose it, they'd break, they'd get it to ours they'd lose it, we'd break, and it would kind of go, go on like that. But I think that confidence, essentially, when we finally did keep it in their, in their third, we got the goal, then you start to mm. see the relax, then you start to see the structure come, you start to see the patterns. It doesn't quite work out, but the, the confidence, it's difficult because it's a chicken and egg. Do you, you need players who are confident to kind of keep that structure going it's like a souffle. Once the, once you open the oven door, it goes. Like it's 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 a it's a it's a really difficult one. But I think against Newcastle, we we kept the oven door closed, which is it sometimes can kind of close. I can't I can't mm-hmm. open. Um, second half then. Uh, Newcastle scored sixty seven percent of their goals in the second half. I think that's just because Joe Willock's been bagging them in the ninety fifth minute for like six weeks now. Yes. That is true. Um, I think there is a conversation about Joe Willock as well, that if, well, it's not if, when Ceballos fucks off back to Madrid, depending on how many midfielders are brought in on the level of the homegrown contingent that we have within the, there is a place for him, you know, 
not starting but coming off the bench. You know, because he he's he's seized his opportunity in Newcastle, and whether that's he's found his level, and I, I, you know, if we got a twenty five thirty million pound offer from Newcastle for him, I'd sell him in a heartbeat. But if there isn't a market for him, you know, there is a place for him coming off the bench, playing in a kind of more number eight, but charging forward role. Well, if we're playing with split eights now, might work. Yeah, definitely might work for us. But if that that doesn't kind of take away from the the whole premise that. If we do get an offer for him, we should sell him. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, but yeah, you're right. Maybe it just all comes from. from well, they also have to score that many goals, so sixty-seven percent of how many? <laughs> like, yeah, sixty-seven percent um, of twelve. Yeah. <laughs> um, big blow. David Luiz going out. I think you just yeah. saw the hamstring ping. Essentially, um, listen. It's a. It's it's the age curve. It's one of those things. I think what it does teach us is is sort of what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast that having someone with that skill set. And I think there's a flip side to that. It's kind of going, oh, for fuck's sake, David Luiz is our only centre-back who can who can do that. But then let's get... And if it's not Saliba, let's get centre-back in who can do that. And then we fix that problem. Do you know what I mean? Like If that's, if that's such an obvious glaring issue from our yeah. team and our system, let's get someone in who can progress from deep, who, who does play those balls and who can bring the ball forward or coach coach the players to do to do that better. Um, yeah, it's a shame he's out. And... and I think every time a player gets injured when they've just come back from an injury, there's going to be questions asked. But what can you do? What can you, you do? Never know. You, ne- like, you never know whether that's because of fatigue or whether it's just because when he's hit the ball and is jogging, it, he's landed in a certain way. And, you know, and it's just sometimes these injuries can come out of nowhere. And it's you can be completely fighting fit absolutely fine you know and then next thing you know so it's it's uh, i feel like david louise hasn't been rushed back from injury and he's a 33 year old man like he's got to take he's got to say when his body isn't he's a senior member of the dressing room do you know what i mean Uh, but also he is also in the terms of a footballer, like an OAP, for Christ's sake, like he is old, yeah. so his body is going to be a bit more brittle and fragile, be- purely just because of the mileage that's gone into those legs over a what near twenty-year career. In yeah. you know, probably starting at what? How old is he? He's like thirty-five, probably starting at under sixteen's level. Yeah. So you know, he um he's going to be more susceptible to injury because of his age. 100%. And it just, it just seems like a bit of a, you know, of course it's happened, you know, because we're really unlucky rather than a, we, we should have seen this coming. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Uh, a Batman gets the goal. It's a really nice bit of mm-hmm. sort of team structure in the, in the moment before we're managing to keep the ball in the final third. Ball comes out to Gabby on the left-hand side and he whips it in for Aubameyang and it's a really, really good finish. Um, and as I said before, I don't I don't think Aubameyang gets that kind of space and time. I think Newcastle are a bit high uh, when they in that phase. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great finish. Not, not taking anything away from mm. it. I just think it's a, it's a great bit of play as we talked about, about um, Martinelli being a sort of more creative hub and we're two up and then... Newcastle essentially went stationary. I mean, they literally, it's like they gave up. 
<laughs> just it's like it's I think when it was one one nil they thought oh we can bring Joe Willock on in the fucking yeah next eighty seventh minute and nick another well then they couldn't bring Willock on could they because he was he's, he wasn't even on the bench oh yeah he's not allowed he's, he's not allowed against us but I think it is that kind of mentality where they've for so long been like we'll nick a late goal and mm. and either grab a win or grab a draw that as soon as we went two 0 up and there was what. 25 minutes left to play yeah and it's not like they looked like they were on to score anyway yeah really yeah i think yeah i think heads just dropped and it it yeah. just became a, a slugfest at points and slugfest sounds lit <laughs> i bet there is a a sl- i bet there is a slug festival can look that up yeah go on slugfest <laughs> have you never heard that phrase uh no slugfest that's got to be a thing. I'm googling it now. Let's make it. Let's make it, mate. Let's make it's like crouch. You listen to the Peter Crouch podcast. No, uh, they got Crouch Fest. We could have Slug Fest or Adams Fest, Apples Fest, Bramley Apples Fest. Of course, my internet isn't working now. It is a thing, but it's also they're a band called Slug Fest. <laughs> There's a band called Slug Fest. Oh, God. And they've got an album called Slugfest. Shall we have a little listen? That's really creative. This podcast is going in a strange direction. Yeah. Shall we get back to the football? Or- no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, off the, off the Slugfest tangent... <laughs> that was Adams-esque, that was. Um, that was. Beautifully done, my friend. Thank you. Um, yeah, just a really, really comfortable second half. Um, and I felt as though, you know, it, it just felt like a, t- a team that was very happy to take a 2-0 and get through to Thursday and not get any more injuries and just get through. And a team that was going, right, we've basically secured our safety with, I think it's two wins and two draws in the last four games. Mm. Let's all just knock the ball around, not try too hard. And we, and we got through, it was 90th minutes, um, got through the 90 minutes and, and we were we were smooth sailing. Um, the only thing I took umbrage like with, with uh, fucking I can't speak, the only thing I took umbrage with slightly was bringing on party. Yeah, what was the point? For five minutes, like... <laughs> it was strange. I mean, uh, to control the game, I don't know, but we were controlling it. Like the, the only reason I bring on, I'd bring on party as a coach is to... to bring back the control of the game if I felt like I'd lost it in the midfield or I felt like I needed ball progression I, I, like I don't I don't know but it didn't I don't know it just maybe you needed a run out I have no idea it just felt like a very strange um, substitution I think also for so long he has seemed to be struggling with fitness that um, you know since his two injuries maybe it's again just helping improve on that match fitness yeah yeah but again I think this is all just like theorising conjecture clacks and bollocks so. Um, the only thing we also should definitely discuss did you see that video of Arteta's touch oh, oh it's it's. you never fucking lose it you absolutely never lose it also when I saw it I saw the ball come late so I just saw it reach his foot and it was a good touch anyway but then I realised how high it went unbelievable unbelievable what a bowler you literally never lose it. Sensational. Sometimes Sensational. I see coaches in um in like the training pitches when they're like getting involved in the matches. And I'm like that must be really annoying. Just like having like Albert Stivenberg 
come in for a two-footer on you. But Arteta's a baller, mate. Yeah. Absolute he, baller. That that touch was sensational. We should also, I realise I didn't cover the red card. <laughs> Fabian yeah. Fabian Shah. Uh, it, it's a red, a pointless challenge. I was happy Gabby yeah. got away. Um, painful. Unscathed. Unscathed. But like, why make that challenge in the 90th minute? You're 2-0 down. You're just fucking your team over. Like, what are you doing? My favourite moment of the whole game and I realised that they are Swiss, was when Xhaka taps Fabian Shaw, gives him a little, it's all right, mate, because he's been in that position so many times. <laughs> Xhaka's like, yeah, I feel you, man. You've let the side down. I get it. <laughs> I, know that, I know that feeling. <laughs> I empathise. I empathise. <laughs> Anything else on the game, Bradley? Nothing from me, my friend. We'll see you after this. Geez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy these podcasts, you can support us on Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee. Links are in the show description. Um, Let's discuss the scenes at Old Trafford that led to the yeah. postponement of the Man United-Liverpool game. Uh, Mostly young guys but, you know, probably a couple in the sort of 50s and 60s uh, got onto the pitch. Um, obviously, I think it's the, I think it's like their third major protest against the owners in the, in the recent days. Um, their people got into Carrington. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really difficult because I, I, find these, I find these things hard because what happens is people go, I want change to happen. And then people protest. I'm not advocating violence i'm not advocating disrupting to that level i think there's a way of doing it but i also am conscious of going don't do your activism this way do your activism that way like everyone has a different way of doing it and like i understand realistically it's also really difficult when you when when this when these clubs are owned by billionaires who half the time aren't even in the country you have to affect things in a certain way that it that is noticeable you know because at the end of the day, if, you know, I'd, I'd probably say 70% of Arsenal fans want Cronky out, right? Oh, more. I, I, 85, 90. If we do not prote- protest at every home game for the rest of the season and every home game next season, the protests that we had on the, what uh, you know, a couple of weeks, about a week ago or two weeks ago, will have been for nothing. Because they'll have heard about it. And there's been no secondary ramifications and they'll just move on because they own us and they can do what they want. And, you know, hopefully the club is up for sale and they can move on and whatever. But I have a lot of respect for disruptive, non-violent protesting. And, okay, I think there are a few scenes of maybe, you know, a few stewards. There was a um, got hit last night. 
which I don't I don't condone. These people are just doing their jobs, and at the end of the day, you know, you have to be res- like they they are. That's that's their livelihood to protect the, the the stadium and to protect the ground and to, you know. But I ha- I I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. In I don't have a, as long as it's done in the right way. And if it's disruptive enough to postpone the game, then postpone the game. Good. What are we going to miss? A bore nil nil draw at Old Trafford that normally happens between Liverpool and United. Like, no, it's the it's the biggest know. game of all time, apparently according to Sky Sports. The the, the difficult. Yeah, as I say, caveating this with I hate the kind of do your activism this way. My whole thing with uh, with all the protests, and this is absolutely with no absolutely no disrespect intended to people who went to the protest. I really support it. I was going to go just because I, I thought it was important. My question is, like, what? Um, and this is a genuine question, not a not a rhetorical one. What does it achieve? Like, quite seriously, what does it achieve? And that's not to downhearten it, uh, uh, dishearten it, or what's the way downplay it. Um, that's not to um, discredit it, but I think it maybe is a reflection of my apathy and how much I think they don't care. Because like Cronky yeah. going, Cronky seeing 4,000 people outside the Emirates or the Glazers seeing people on the pitch, how much does it affect them? I don't think they care. If you take, for example, no. let's take, for example, a factory worker, if they don't go in, the bottom lines of the factory owners are affected. If, if all of them unionize together and don't go in and to pr- protest, you know, bad working conditions, they're genuinely affected. They say, we're not coming in. We're just not going to yeah. the next three days. Th- what the, the factory owners have to listen. But at this point, if 4,000 people gather outside the Emirates, and I feel really bad saying this because it's not, it, this isn't the fault of, of those who are protesting. They have the right to protest. They should be protesting. I probably would have been and there I myself. Agree, and the thing is, the, is we agree, agree with the message of the protest. Yeah, but it's almost, I suppose what I'm saying is it's indicative of how apathetic and how unreasonable I believe these owners are to be is that I think will that do anything like and and that's not fair on the protesters that's not fair on um on anyone but it just tells me that like realistically the Glazers don't give a fuck the Cronkies don't care like so what does that achieve so so then how else so then my question becomes instead of just going well then don't do your activism this way do it that way it becomes how else can we do it joining supporters trusts um, coming together, signing petitions, like how else can we do it? And that's a question for everyone to take. But my, yeah, and, and it's kind of a wider conversation around protesting in football and stuff. And that's, you know, that's just my opinion. But yeah, I mean, what's your what's your take on that? I think you're right. And it poses some really kind of fascinating and interesting questions. And in, in a year where we've seen so much protest, it, I think it, we've we've now come desens- a bit desensitized to it. We're so used to seeing people march on the streets and light flare or whatever that we we don't understand kind of the seriousness of it. My main takeaway and my main question for it is, especially, and I ask this question like you did genuinely, as an Arsenal fan, is how far are you willing to go? Because this isn't enough. Yeah. This is nowhere near enough. Yeah, it's like, will we and, not go to the games? Will we, like, what happens, yeah. And, you know, it happened with, with Newcastle when they arranged protests against Mike Ashley pre, you know, the Saudis ever coming along and whatever. You know, there was walkouts, there was this, there was that, and we've seen it in football before. How far are you honestly willing to go to affect change and to make a difference? Are you willing to, ex- 
to accept the consequences that, you know, you're, you might get, you know, you might end up with a criminal conviction because of your Mm. protesting, because if you're trespassing on land that is not yours technically, and you Mm. break into the ground and you are arrested, is that a consequence that you're willing to accept? I think this whole thing especially does just kind of pose that question for me. How far are we as an art, as a, as a, as a a sect and a group of fans of a club willing to go to try and push these people out because whilst our performances on the pitch uh, and our failures this season will hurt the bottom line of the Cronkies because they'll hopefully have to pump money in to try and fix the issue it's about more than that it's affecting their bottom line across the board it's about every and this is why it will, I don't think it'll ever truly happen and why the owners don't care. It's about no Arsenal fan, not a single one next season, buying a piece of merch. It's about boycotting matches at a certain point. No matter who you're playing, no matter what the score is, at 45 minutes, every Arsenal fan walks out of the stadium. And until you can reach that level of unity, or at least a level of unity where 60 to 70% of the, of the, of the kind of populace of the fan base in this club are doing that nothing will change yeah because there won't be enough pressure and there won't be enough financial implication for them to change look they might apparently according to some publications be looking to sell the club and that would be brilliant you know if if there's been an if they're if they're looking at it and they're going well we needed the super league to make us more profitable again the clubs at an all-time high value-wise, you know, we're, we're valued at more than PSG as a club, as in just like as um, a commercial entity. Because, you know, at PSG are, are hollow, you know. They're, ju- they're just a club owned by a, com- by, a, by a country that's pumped money in. So the clubs at an all-time high value-wise, we don't look profitable and it looks like it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money to get us back to a situation mm. where we can be profitable again. If you're cronky and you're looking at it, you might decide to cut ties now whilst we're at an all-time high, even because you're not willing to put the two, three, four hundred million pounds of investment in that needs to take us up to that next level, make us profitable yeah. again and make us one of the top five most profitable clubs yeah. in the country, in, in the world again or whatever. Yeah. So... Hopefully that happens. Yeah. But the the fa- the question that I kind of want to pose to everyone listening, and as a genuine response, and feel free to message me on Twitter, feel free to message the both of us, email in, is how far do you think we have to go? Mm. And how far are you willing to go to affect change? Because like we've seen with a lot of social justice issues around the world in the last 12 months, it's not easy. Mm. It really isn't. And I know it's 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 a it's a false comparison, you know, when you're talking about literal human rights and a, you know a football club. But if you want to affect change, there will be. I had a really fascinating. And this is again a little bit of a tangent, but I had a really fascinating conversation with my mum and my partner the other day about this whole idea of consequence and choice. If we make the choice that we want to fully protest and get these people out of our club we might have to take the consequence that we we get an owner in who doesn't have the financial spending power to invest three or 400 million and we have to take the the long route anyway. Mm. Or we have to take the consequence that a few people might end up with criminal convictions from breaking into the stadium or whatever. Mm. 
it's about what we as people are willing to accept and whether we're willing to accept it impacting our livelihoods you know well said mate really well said and i think yeah it's it's such a multifaceted and difficult issue and something we don't have time to really really get massively into we could do a whole podcast on this but i think you're right it's it's how far we're willing to go and i think any kind of um any kind of collective action on this i hope can be you know organized by things like the arsenal supporters trust and stuff and really if we if we please join up if you haven't yeah as it's, well. it's get it's getting to how do we become collect how do we collect up as a fan base if this is what we want and that's the question you know there's some people who don't want it's a question of you know what comes after Cronky, but we are collected and united basically i think behind we don't want Cronky here so what can we do? And and as you're saying, yeah, you're right. You know, what what can we do? How far can we go? But I think in the in the wake of protests yesterday, I think it's it's sad to me because it's again, it's not an indictment on those Man United fans who care about their club. It's an indictment of the selfishness and greed of one person and how much they and just how much they don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, do and you know how I mean? much they've impacted an entire in million. There are millions of Arsenal fans across the yeah. world and millions of. Spurs fans across the world and millions of United fans across the world and you know but but I think the only two people the only two clubs in this country and it's no surprise that these are the first two clubs to leave apparently the European Super League are City and Chelsea yeah because they will pump money in because they're like Chelsea are owned by an oil baron worth 14 billion and City are owned by a country yeah. and by a royal family so it doesn't affect them whereas when we look at the uh, the situation of the other clubs who are just owned by businessmen out to make profit and out to bleed these clubs dry it is really sad how it has affected the the the, the mass and the people that really care about the club yeah and and you know? and, and it's just to round this off and to, to kind of finish up on the glazer thing i don't think those fans it's sad that those fans going on the pitch and protesting in the way they have in my opinion won't have an impact because of how selfish and self-absorbed the glazers are but that is not a negative thing that is a question it's a springboard how do we how do we make them listen and then surely how do we move forward Yeah, yeah exactly exactly um okay good pod good one good one good one uh any plans for us we're going shopping aren't you brad yeah yeah we're um we're heading out i'm uh commercialism wrong i'm going shopping (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i've been at home looking after um a family member who had surgery recently so i'm moving back to london finally um and we're going shopping today because i need to get some new clothes nice nice and you're gonna are you gonna come play football with us tonight no i can't i can't do tonight i can't i can't do tonight but next week yeah next week i'm in Unreal. Between the sticks. sticks. Let's finish up as we always do with With Arsenal trivia. trivia. Last time I asked you, in what year, soon after relegation back to the second division, Woolwich Arsenal moved to the new Arsenal Stadium in Highbury, North London? Do you know the year we moved into Highbury, Brad? 1878. I ain't got a clue, mate. 1913. Oh, I was close to last time. I was saying like 19... I don't think we were a club in 1878. I think it was 1886, but there you go. Yeah, um, probably. Sh- shows how much of a fan I am, mate. The uh, next question is... Oh, Arsenal- please, please tell me you've seen the clip where, like, DT puts a bit of trivia to tie. 
and then Ty does it to DT, and then he does he get, does he he gets up and like dances. It's, it's fucking. Please just YouTube it. It's hilarious. That sounds horrendous. Um, Arsenal were also involved in the first football match to be broadcast live on TV in 3D when Sky screened their three-one defeat to Man United on what date? What date? Arsenal were also involved in the first football match to be broadcast live on TV in 3D when Sky screened their three-one defeat to Man United on what? Date. I have zero clue, my friend. It so. wasn't 1878, Brad. I will um, find out next week. <laughs> <laughs> you'll find out next week. <laughs> pleasure. Enjoy shopping. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, pleasure as always. And we will see you after what will be probably the biggest game of the season. The season and the depression that follows. Yeah. <laughs> see you then. Thanks for listening, guys. See you then. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.